Well, then, maybe we should start saving now, she said, teasing him. It was just like Nick to worry about something like that when we were talking about going to Mars fifty years in the future. All right, if we can afford a ticket and they're selling them, we'll go, Nick said. Eddie snorted. Try and stop any of us from buying one, no matter what they cost. You have to promise to work to make it happen, Talia said. Otherwise, it's just wishing. I promise to work to get people to Mars in the next fifty years, Nick asked. Is that all we have to say? That should do nicely, Thalia said. I'll start off if you like. I promise to work to get people to Mars in the next 50 years. And I promise to come back here to celebrate in 2019. Your turn. I repeated what she had said, then Eddie repeated it, and finally Nick did. We all sat quietly until it began to get chilly. I don't know what the others were doing, but I was trying to figure out if we had really done anything. About the time I was starting to shiver, Mom called for Nick and me. The group broke up in a quick little chorus of goodnights and see you tomorrows and so forth. Nick and I walked back up the beach, sand crunching under our feet toward the bright yellow square of the cabin light, and I remember him resting a hand on my shoulder for just a second. Maybe he was just steadying himself from a bad step in the sand. That evening in the upstairs room, Nick fell asleep instantly, as he always did, but I lay awake a little while. The dust motes danced in the moonlight from the window, surrounding the Saturn model that hung on fish line from the ceiling. It glowed ghostly white, and in the dim light the glue spots and the traces of resanding and repainting vanished, and it seemed to hang there, just as if somehow the whole big rocket were really in space. The dust motes seemed like distant twinkling stars, obscured and revealed by the Saturn and its shadow as it slowly turned. The nozzles, painted silver, in the dark you couldn't see that they were lumpy over the slightly charred parts, would swing into the brighter light and back out. A while later, the escape tower, CM and third stage, all painted stark white with black detailing, would swoop into the bright light for just a moment. I watched it turn around one more time, and then I was asleep too. When I looked at the clock, I realized I must have been daydreaming for an hour. That was probably the longest I'd spent just sitting in a chair, truly doing nothing since my first year in the Air Force. I wondered how long it was going to take Harry Gordon to find me a lawyer, and if maybe I should start looking for one of my own. As involved in business as I was, and with a certain amount of time on the social circuit, I knew plenty of lawyers, and I had a nagging feeling that I knew someone who would be perfect. It was a bitter joke when I realized it was Thalia. Beginning a year and a half before the divorce, she'd been running her small prisoners and victims' rights group. I had never quite understood how those two fit together. Much of it was lobbying and testifying in Congress and the state legislatures, but she also fought cases in court, helping victims sue the criminal and helping criminals sue the state. At least she had litigated plenty of civil cases very much in the public eye, which was more than could be said for anyone Gordon was likely to find, and she might have a good idea who I should talk to. Though we weren't exactly friends since the divorce, my ex was a thoroughly honest person, and I could trust whatever she recommended. Just the same, I thought I'd wait a while to call her and ask, maybe if I didn't have anyone by end-of-day Monday, which seemed improbable. I didn't want to create unnecessary times in which to quarrel, and it bothered me to feel as if I were asking for free legal advice. I picked up the yellow pages. What you can find there, unfortunately, is mostly 
We'll make them pay ads or phone numbers with no information, but after spending the better part of an hour reading through the fine print, I found four names that I recognized, people I knew socially who seemed to be senior partners or proprietors of firms that might handle this kind of thing. I tried the first one, using my personal connection to get past the secretaries. He talked with me for about ten minutes about a charity board we were both on. And then before I could tell him my business, he told me that his firm couldn't take on any additional cases at this time. Strange that a business would turn away business, especially a big case with a lot of publicity value, but I didn't know much about law. The next firm told me they had an unspecified conflict of interest. The guy I knew at the third firm, an old Air Force buddy, called me back after half an hour. I hate to say this, Scott, but I just can't. He didn't give a reason, and I didn't ask for one. The fourth and last one told me she couldn't afford to handle such a sensitive case at this time. Sunlight was slanting east across the rug now, and the air conditioner had come on to cope with the late afternoon heat of Indian summer. I wondered what to do next. As I was putting in a load of laundry, the phone rang. It was Harry Gordon. He'd been calling around. Nobody wanted the case. I asked, but we hadn't called any of the same firms. Gordon would keep trying, but wasn't hopeful. If we can't find anyone else, do you have somebody around in your firm who could handle it for me? Any lawyer is better than not having one. Harry hemmed, hawed, and backpedaled pretty hard. Look, I said, you obviously have some reason or other not to take the case. I bet it's the same reason why the other firms don't want it. And it might help me if I knew what that reason is. Why don't you just tell me? I've known you all my life. You're the family lawyer. You could at least tell me what the hell is going on. Suddenly he had to take another call. And then his secretary called to say... He'd get back to me. It looked like I'd have to renew my quest for a lawyer in the morning. Tomorrow would be Friday, though, and I wondered how many lawyers would be around town to talk to me. When you're up to your neck in bad publicity, you need to stay inside the news cycle, so I drafted a press release that expressed my admiration for Michael James and for Mark Clement, my sorrow at their deaths, my feeling of sympathy for Annabeth James, and my belief that it would be shown that I was not at fault. All of that was true, so it wasn't that hard to organize it. Coming up with words that couldn't possibly be misread as trite, dismissive, callous, or duplicitous took longer. I wrote it out carefully and then began calling my way through the deck of reporters' cards. Since she'd been so helpful, I called Nikki Earl first. She recorded the statement in my voice and then added, I'll copy this and give one to Ken Elgin so you don't have to call him. We're going to dinner tonight, she said. I probably ought to thank you for that. Huh, I said, mildly surprised. You work for the most liberal network, and he writes...